Hi, I'm John Farmer, and this is a special midweek episode of the Georgian Bay Roots podcast. You're about to hear my entire interview with Larry Jensen and Rob Rolfe, former Owen Sound Poets Laureate, who have just released a great collection and book called Late Nights on Irish Mountain. We recorded this at Rob's kitchen table on a windy day, so don't mind the chimes in the background. We'll kick off the episode with one of the songs from the album. It's called This Great Lakes Town. Hi, John. My name is Larry Jensen. And my name's Rob Rolfe. I'm here talking with Larry and Rob about their latest release, Late Nights on Irish Mountain, which is both a book and an album. How did this 
wonderful piece of multidisciplinary art come to be? It's a culmination of uh, these four years of work, and it's sort of compiling everything that happened during that four years, all throughout the uh, the songs I was writing, all throughout the um, what were we involved with uh, the uh, poets laureate. Poets laureate, yeah. yeah. And uh, during that period, but sometime just before that as well, we had started uh, Rob writing lyrics and me writing songs for them. And so that's why the, the CD was important, because it was music. Book's important to read the words as you go along. And uh, some of the... I guess we were asked to um, ex- explain how the recordings happened, how uh, each song you know, took shape, and what were the technical things uh, behind the recording as well, you know, where did I record them, who did I use on the recording, so it was, uh, it turned into something more than just making a CD, it was really a, a great experience, loved it. Yeah, it was a, it was an unusual one too, because uh, Larry sort of pushed for the book part, and I was pushing for the CD part. And we had done a CD as poet laureates previously with me reading poetry, Larry playing music, and interspersing our stuff. But this time around was a little different, and I really wanted a CD of music, which meant I wouldn't be on it because I'm not a musician, but I had done a lot of the writing. And Larry Larry kept saying, well, people want to read poetry too and uh, put some poems in and we put the lyrics in, and uh, so that moved the shifted it back to the book. And then when Patty, Patty Waterfield, my partner, who was an artist, agreed to illustrate it, the book became a thing in itself to go with the CD, which is, they're both standalone and, and they're both linked together. Yeah, it, was, uh, it started out as a, uh, we weren't sure what shape the book itself would take. I think we started out thinking, Maybe just a brochure with the CD. Something very, very simple with a couple of pictures maybe. or You know, a glossy brochure. And uh, it soon turned into something much more than that. I love the creative writing part of it, you know. Not just songs, but uh, explaining things. And uh, I really enjoyed that part. And this particular project has stories locally has some some union stories from from further afield and also has at least one song on that album that's about well just 20 years ago and what it was like uh for will henry to play play songs and and take folks to contra dances how did you choose which stories would be part of this particular collection well for my part the writing part because i guess a lot of them started with me the original lyrics I just, uh, I, when I came to Owen Sound, I started collecting stories from people along the shore here because I wanted to write about Mudtown here on the east side of Owen Sound and uh, gradually picked up stories and uh, began to think about storytelling because uh, both Larry and I have had a lot of support from Andrew Armitage who's collected stories since the 1970s here in uh, Owen Sound and Grey Bruce and so I just told stories that I found interesting. And some I had collected myself along the shore, which are really reminiscences of people who worked in factories and uh, had lived along the shore. And then there were there's some, uh, there's at least three of the pieces in here that are derived from stories from Andrew Armitage's books. So came from a number of sources, but... Uh, uh, they really just popped up. It wasn't planned to cover this, that. <laughs> I think it's interesting that in for both you and Andrew Armitage, you're not originally from this part of the world, but you made it your home and really became intrigued by and committed to the stories of the people from here in, in living memory and beyond living memory. What do you think it is about that that outsider's perspective, if I can call it that, that that lets you either see the stories more clearly or, or be drawn to them as, as someone who's choosing to make this part of the world their home? 
Well, it, I guess being an outsider is it, you have a freshness when you're learning stories about a place because for me, Mudtown, which is what I was writing about, Larry Larry grew up here, but it was new to me. But but I knew a little bit of the history before I came here. I'm familiar with the area. I knew the Bruce Peninsula all my life, but I didn't know own sound. And uh, so I just gradually, um, I gathered information I walked the shores here, like where I live, where we're sitting doing this interview, is right along the shore where there used to be factories, Métis homes, and it had a very interesting history, and uh, and it was all new to me. Uh, I wrote about Mudtown because it had a working class history, and that's what I was interested in. It could have been anywhere, but this is where I am. And so each story becomes unique and interesting, and especially, I guess, to an outsider who hasn't heard them before. Larry, is that different for someone who grew up in Owen Sound? It's a mystery to me why uh, these local stories become songwriting things. Uh, I grew up here long before I was a songwriter. I'm a kid just observing all things about factories. And my, my father worked in all these factories along this shore, a number of them anyway. As a kid growing up, I, I guess I was going to follow in my father's footsteps of being kind of a working guy. Um, not that that turned out well for me. I, you know, labor was just uh, not something I... Anyway, I found the guitar, and that was a much better job for me. Uh, and then all of a sudden I had all these memories about where I grew up and they just sort of seemed to be natural uh, song things. And uh, so I would I, I would just start uh, thinking about those stories and putting them to chord progressions. I'm not sure how they, how I ever turned out kind of writing a lot about local stuff. I wrote about a lot of different things, but... And when Rob came to town, somebody said, uh, you should listen to Larry's songs because he's writing about that same stuff that you're interested in. And that's how we kind of uh, met each other. And when was that originally? Yeah. I lose track of time, but I would say it might be going on five years now. More than that. I came here in 2012. So I was uh, told to go check out Larry by Doug Cleverly, who... A lot of people here will remember he worked for the city and organized some of the musical events. So I went down and saw the Harbor Nights where Larry was performing. And then I went to see him again. Uh, one of the... Bleeding Carrot, I think. Uh, it was the Chaise Lounge oh. at the time. Oh. <laughs> and uh, I went up and talked to him at that time. And out of that, we ended up meeting and getting together. But I was just excited to know there was someone who was interested in and had a history of writing about and singing about the things I was interested in and the area I was interested in. Yeah, it was... uh, We invited Rob and Patty up for supper one night, and he brought some of his books, his earlier books. And for some reason, I just grabbed my guitar and opened it up, and I I said, you know, I've kind of been interested in uh, uh, poets... And while they read to maybe put music to it, uh, that's the humble beginnings of the whole thing. And uh, that night, I looked at uh, one of his poems and just started playing guitar and started reading it. And Rob went, oh, my God, that's uh, that's doable. We could do that kind of thing. And so that started us off. Just And this very table that we're sitting at is where we worked out so much stuff. And this is where we would come to... Uh, to uh, try different, kind of a mixture of, I would sing part of a song and he would uh, then start reading some poetry and then I'd go back to the song and it became a thing. So uh, people got word about it and we did uh, get invited to do some uh, performances of that very stuff. And uh, next thing we know, they're looking for new uh, poet laureate candidates and so we tried that. Um, and we were successful at that. So, 
it just, that was such a great experience for me. Since I was just ready to try something different than just straight songwriting. And uh, started to write my own uh, spoken word stuff. And uh, it was such a great, we did about 40 performances with just great audiences, you know, just pin drop audiences, as we call them. Um, people listening and uh, we're getting great responses from it. So it was really rewarding. It It is sort of a this book and CD that we're talking about today is very much a kind of an ending to uh, what we've been doing. And uh, I'm already moved on to a, a new project. I'm writing a book which is going to be published and uh, released in May 7th at the Ginger Press. And it's my own autobiography and uh, it's also another CD so the songs have always followed chronology Um, and so the CD uh, does the same thing so as you're reading about my life and when these songs occurred uh, you can listen to the CD I'm I'm curious is there a particular story of the creation of a song or a piece that, that you can tell us about well, maybe the first one we did together, really, like we had been working together for a while, but uh, myself not being a musician, I was just happy to be around a musician. And uh, somehow on my morning walk one day, thinking about the old factory district down here and what I was doing with Larry, I jotted down some words and thought, well, let me try and write as, as a song. And uh, it, it became called Corkscrew City, but I, I didn't know whether it was really a song. I can't sing, I can't play music, I love music. But So I sent it off to Larry. This was fairly early on in our stuff, so I thought, well, I'll do it. And I'm a person who, stuff I write, I don't put it out there right away. I sit with it a long time, but this one I didn't. I just sent it to him, said, I tried to write a song, here it is. That was it. And I didn't hear back from him. And I, I think I said it in the book. I thought my career was over writing songs. And about three days later, I got uh, an email back from Larry, and it said, check the MP3 attachment. I don't think I even knew what an MP3 was. <laughs> but anyway, I went and checked it, and uh, there was my song as a real song, sung with uh, great music, and uh, Larry had taken the lyrics and um, added a chorus. Uh, I think I did a verse-chorus-verse-chorus kind of song, but he gave it a little more finish, a, a musician's take on it. And like, I was very proud of it, just to hear it. And on top of that, the thing that, that meant the most to me when I heard it, it sounded like a Larry Jensen song. And I thought, wow, that's pretty good. I had something to do with it. It's a real song. And uh, so that and that one went on to, we've used it during the Corkscrew City tours here that uh, the City of Own Sound does on the beer bus. And uh, it even got played a bit on uh, Ontario Morning on CBC one time. And so yeah. that was sort of my first song. I don't consider myself a songwriter. Yeah. No. Trains used to run here, but not anymore. Industry wide, but that was before. Ships stopped coming and the factories closed. Bootleggers thrived. Nobody won. 
Girls, corkscrew, set it till it shut down. Whiskey flow, we all over this town. And the wheel of fortune round and round and round. Down in corkscrew city. Flocks of goldfinches free as you please You can't find a job here, you hardly belong But everybody knows something went wrong It was corkscrew city until it shut down Whiskey fluffed really all over this town The wheel of fortune went round and round Corkscrew City What was it like for you to open up that email with with Rob's lyrics? Yes, it. You could go back. He sent me one to begin with, just before Corkscrew City, and uh, it had so many problems with um, rhythm. And it to me, I just thought, nope, this this isn't going to be a song without a great deal of editing and like that. So. That was fine, but he didn't give up with that. He Then he sent me Corkscrew City, and it was like night and day. It was just all of a sudden he had this rhythm going on. People have to understand that poetry sometimes is not a song lyric. It uh, doesn't have that sensibility, doesn't have rhyming schemes, does, just doesn't have that musical sensibility to it. Corkscrew City was just perfect. It had everything that a person could put a chord progression down to uh, pretty much you know there was a few alterations in that but it and i went holy jesus this is uh, this happened this poet sent me lyrics that I, and people have tried that over the years and quite often it was I, it was not successful i was either the lyrics were not interesting enough or whatever i just couldn't get my head around it but that just exploded <laughs> And um, and it just started. It just opened a door for Rob. And pretty soon, I was getting them on a very regular basis. I would get up. I would open them, start to look at them. I would get up to get my guitar, and by the time I got back to my seat, I had something in mind already, something maybe that I had without words, but sometimes just right fresh, just I just start strumming a chord and reading the first line, then singing the first line, and just carrying on that way and next thing. And usually within two or three days, I also had it recorded and so that I could send it to Rob, and I'd be just obsessed with it for those two or three days. I just couldn't stop, like I probably sang it a hundred times before <laughs> recording it and then just, just polishing. And... As it happens, I just love doing that. That's just something that I uh, could do all day long, you know, given the opportunity. Was there a sim- similar kind of infatuation for you, Rob, getting those songs back and seeing that idea hatched into something something new and more fully fledged to mix those metaphors up? 
Yeah, definitely. It was exciting, for one thing. I, some of this, for me, came out of the performing we were doing together, Larry and I, and uh, we also have worked with Richard Satosky, and well, I won't go through all the names, but uh, in a project called Métissage. And uh, I learned as not being really a performer. I was a poet who wrote for books, not a spoken word poet. And uh, doing and performing, I began to see how sometimes the song format or the use of rhyme in performances was very different than what I was doing previously, just writing for someone to read in a book. And uh, so I began to learn how to do that and started to enjoy it because I knew that every time I did it, there was a chance Larry would make it into a real song. And I could say for me, this was the excitement of this project for me, at least initially, was that it was a music project and that I could be involved in it even though I'm not a musician. I have a great love of music and of many types of music, but Larry's music covers a lot of the types of music I enjoy, and to, to have him taking my words and adding his polish to it, not just the musical polish, but the lyrical polish, because uh, in my mind, he's a very poetic songwriter. So it became a real collaboration, and that was really fun and something new for me, really. Yeah, it was a uh, yeah, it was a good ex- experience. See, we we started off with uh, they weren't Rob's songs. I would basically play a song, a part of a song, and and it would just we would try to make it. Uh, so that Rob could find a spot inside that song just to read something he'd written pertaining to the same subject matter, if we could. We'd try to stay as close to that as as possible. And there was always an issue, right, with um, timing, because I would start off as a song, Rob would have to read in in some... the, The music would keep going, and we would try to have a certain... Music is all about timing, and there's a spot where you would start reading and a spot where you'd have to get to in perfect time because the song took over at that point, right? And that was, that was difficult at first, mm-hmm. and we had to, um, we had to just uh, not be so rigid. And so that was interesting, too, that that song didn't have to come in right then where it usually did. You could kind of just be loose about it, and uh, that's that worked really well. Where Rob wasn't under the gun to end up someplace in that song at a perfect time, so it was a learning experience as well. But still, he had not written anything that I was uh, that I was singing, and so uh, boy, after two, I guess maybe three years, we started to look at it, and there was like sixteen, at least sixteen songs that happened that way. And we thought, well, we got to do something with them. And so the idea of this book and CD was definitely born just thinking that it's time to do something with them. Otherwise, they weren't really stuff that I was doing in my, in my musical performances. Some things ended up on the CD and in the book that were mine. A couple of my more uh, classical, I mean classic, tunes that I had been doing in my performances so we thought well we'll put those in there too and which ones were those yeah this great lakes town and uh, train to Tulsa right out of really had nothing to do with local storytelling it was just kind of a song that had a kind of a a moral story it it, it was not a local story but it had everything to do with storytelling and yeah. That's what I liked about it. It had, the, it had that element that you can hear in old time music. Like, I, I'm a big fan of Jimmy Rogers, the old time country singer, and who wrote yeah. simple but touching lyrics and it's often humorous, telling stories, uh, giving morals, lighthearted in a way. Yeah. And uh, that's, so Larry's song was like that. So he thought. We had a lot of discussion about this. He thought, this isn't local, doesn't belong on here. And I said, but it's all about stories, exactly what we're talking about. It does belong. And it, mm-hmm. it's a nice touch. And 
musically. Like I, I don't know where Larry fetches these songs from because I'm the one listening to all these old country songs, but he produced it. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned a, a couple of minutes ago the response that you had with over 40 performances in your couple of years as the Poets Laureate. Yes. Is there a particular response from an audience that, that was the most memorable in, in that time over those dozens and dozens of performances? I would say the, uh, for me, um, we, did, we had to come up with what they call legacy, the Poet Lord. Uh, legacy, which is about producing something that's going to be left behind in your name. And uh, so the CD that we did while we were, not this one, but the one before it. Uh, and so we did it at Hartwood, and it was a sold-out performance. And Liz, Liz Zatlin, you know, very popular filmmaker now and uh, poet in own sound, remember her, she introduced us, and you know the... Uh, for us, I love that uh, where you enter the stage from Hartwood. It's behind that that door that looks like logs. <laughs> and we were standing at the door waiting for her to, behind the door, waiting for him to introduce us. And in fact, we missed the cue. And uh, <laughs> she had to go back. And uh, everyone was just like applauding us like crazy, waiting for us to come out on stage. Right? And she had to come back and knock on the door. Right, So we opened it up and we walked out. And uh, that that audience was uh, just so receptive to us, and we did the whole CD that day, plus uh, some matisage stuff. So that was really, really. See, we've had audiences that range from 125 people to one. One of the library performances was kind of a kind of a little strange thing, but we were asked to do it. We weren't sure what it was actually about, but... For the literacy uh, program. For the literacy program. And so uh, one person showed up. And so... Uh, so And the teacher. And there the were te- two. <laughs> <laughs> right. The two yeah. of us. And I think for me, like, I always remember the, at the cultural awards one year. Oh, man. We had... We did it at two years because we were Poets Laureate for two years. So it's a big crowd, 150, 200 people down at the Bay Shore. And we did a, uh, it was one of the ones where I'd written some short poems and Larry had written a song. Larry's song was uh, called Along the Harbor Wall, which he had just written, which was about growing up right along the shore there. And I had a, a few very short poems that were sort of set at the bottom of St. Mary's Hill and stuff. Uh, and they they were based on little tiny stories people had told me. And the thing that happened there is that for some reason that day, uh, when Larry sang, and I could see it when I was reading, people recognized the song and the, and the poems. They recognized it from their own experience. And we got a big standing ovation, which for poets... It's not common, <laughs> and uh, it, but it was just the spontaneity of it, and for me that reflected what this whole experience has been for me, because as a poet, working with a musician, I always wanted a wider audience. I wanted to reach working people. I come from a labor background. That's what I was writing about. I didn't want to be reading to fellow poets all the time. I wanted to talk to a much wider audience, and Larry already had that audience. And, you know, to have somebody somebody come up after a performance and say, oh, that house you're talking about where they used to sell liquor when this was a dry town, I know that house, that was, and they give you the address. Yeah. So those were rewarding things because you knew you were talking to people about the things that meant a lot to them, yeah. and when they, and particularly growing up around here. Yeah. So... Uh, all of all of this experience has been great because this community loves music and they love local artists and uh, they've given us tremendous support from, from the day we started. Larry, as someone who grew up around here, were there musicians that local musicians that influenced you in your early days? Um, it's hard to tell that far back which uh, musicians. We're doing, uh, when Al Walker and I got together, 
um, we started performing as a duo. And we we were performing original music, and there was a certain timing about it. The Gold Rush Saloon had just opened, and uh, it was sort of an anything goes at the, uh, at the front of the Gold Rush. At the back, the Black Knight Lounge, of course, had uh, touring artists, you know, Max Webster and Ronnie Hawkins and all those guys played at that lounge. But up at the front was a very interesting time. Uh, the law changed where you could walk around with your drink. You know, before that, if you wanted to move to another table, you had to get a waitress or a hostess to pick up your drinks and take you to that other table. You were not free to walk around with a drink in your hand. And so it just opened up a, a freedom. It was really kind of a Wild West kind of thing. Gold Rush Saloon became very popular all over southern Ontario. Sawdust on the floor, popcorn, all that kind of stuff. In own sound, yes. And uh, so Al and I started there as a duo. And uh, boy, we were playing original music. You ask me about the other bands in town, were they influencing me? And to tell you the truth, probably not, because they were all, there were some great artists, of course, Alfie Fromagi, very huge in this town. And, um, but kind of uh, strictly a country type of thing that was going on in Owen Sound. There were just dozens of country bands, very popular in this town. And we were something outside of that. And so we sort of had to make up our own rules about that. Uh, how we were going to perform. And, of course, that all kind of happened at the same time. In my new book, talks about the night we're playing at Gold Rush Saloon, and Tim Harrison walked in. Him and his brother, of course, were about to start this thing called a folk festival. And he was there to explain that to Al and I, and that would we like to take part in the very first one, you know, I think we can scrape together 50 bucks for you guys, you know, if you want it, if you want the job. Oh, and by the way, you can't bring any drums or amplifiers. And by that time, we were actually a trio with a set of drums and now would play some electric guitar during our set. And so that was a stipulation that we would uh, play at the festival. And uh, as it turned out, uh, we were the very first act that stepped out on stage that night. So, um, so I got to see that firsthand, and somehow we must have negotiated things because we did play electric instruments the next day on the Saturday. So, and so you were there for the very first summer folk. Of yeah. course, the festival you're talking about in Owen Sound is our very own summer folk, and we are the official radio show of the Summer Folk Music and Crafts Festival. <laughs> but there are, for a festival that is coming into its 45th year, most of the people who who go haven't been going for 45 years. So you've got a particular perspective on that. Yeah. How has that experience changed over the years? Well, I became pretty regular at the festival. At one point, I was up to 19 performances there or appearances at, at Summerfolk. I was kind of the guy. I was the go-to guy. It had its own issues. The You know, Summerfolk... Lots of people always were a little concerned that there wasn't enough local representation, right? And it was my name was quite often brought up when uh, sometimes we had out-of-town artistic directors for some time, didn't really know who I was, and unless... Uh, anyway, they... Um, so they, they would tend to not bring that much of a local flavoring to it, and that really upset a lot of people. And so my name was used a lot of times. Why, why isn't Larry Jensen there, you know? And I, I was certainly okay with not being there. I, I'd been there a lot. And I, I, I'm usually there maybe once every five years or so, you know, and that's great for me. It's a highlight for me. I don't need to be there every year. There's lots of new talent. And I would say it has been represented much better these, these last years. There's always up-and-coming good stuff out of Owen Sound that's being represented there. So I'm pleased. And certainly the festival itself is larger than it was oh. in that those first couple of years. Oh, my God. I, we looked out onto that field that night, as I recall, and it was flat. <laughs> and, 
and it was our own sort of Woodstock uh, mud fest. Uh, I just on the Saturday, I have pictures from that day on the Saturday, and it was sweltering. Uh, everybody, nobody was wearing shirts, <laughs> and uh, but but I know later that day it just torrents of rain came down, so it became uh, part of the nature of summer folk was rain, mostly rain, you know. And uh, that very first year was so awesome. I mean, Tom Rush was there, Mimi Farina. Um, I, I, don't, I think it was the next year that Stan Rogers was there. He wasn't there the first year, I don't think. But there I was in workshops with the likes of Tom Rush and uh, old David Whiffen. I'd, I'd listen to his album. Maybe your listeners won't even know who the hell they are, but I was listening to David Whiffen's album all that year. Next thing I know, I'm sitting next to him. And uh, pretty special. Well, hearing you describe that, it, I think it speaks to the power of collaboration, right? And, and Canadian folk festivals are particularly known for workshop stages where people get to share time and jump in on each other's songs. And, yeah. and it lends a magic to the performance and the festival experience that you don't necessarily get if you're going to go see a solo, like a solo performance of, of yep. an act or a band True. where they're playing their thing and they do that every night. But on a workshop stage, you have other influences jumping in and, and magic can happen yeah. uh, or be evoked, which is making me think about the projects that you folks have done as well. Because you're mixing poetry and music, you're mixing um, songwriting perspectives and and local history and and like other other writing form perspectives to create something that's really magical in in late nights on Irish Mountain and in your previous projects as the, the poets laureate. That kind of collaborative magic. Where else do you find that? Like it's obviously been a, a pair, of, like it's obviously been a product of of your creative pairing. Um, where else have you found that in the local music community, or the writing community, or history community? Yeah, I I can play music by myself all day long. I enjoy that, but there's nothing like teaming up with another musician. Uh, I've been, really, most of my musical life has been about duels. Pairing up with other guitar players, sometimes keyboard players. Yesterday I played a session, uh, he played on th three tracks yesterday, uh, Tyler Beckett, who's just a world-class uh, fiddle violinist, whatever you want to call him. He showed up at my house at 10.30 in the morning yesterday and I'm just blown away. You know, all I had to do was sit there and push the record button and uh, add his fiddle to my, my songs, right? And uh, I just spent the entire day mixing and just... Uh, I guess it started at 10.30 in the morning and ended at 10.30 at night with my ears being totally blown out. <laughs> I listened to my music too loud, and I couldn't really tell... Uh, how it was sounding by that time, but it, this morning I turned it on and it sounds great, so we're good there. Um, so that's that's an example of just making things better. It hasn't always been successful, you know. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes the song is much better with less. But mostly for me, uh, if you can find that magic. Uh, in pairing up, and I've been doing it my whole my whole life. I've I've teamed up with uh, vocalists, uh, guitar players, fiddle, piano. Uh, so these days I go to these jams, and uh, there'll be banjo players there, or dobro players, and mandolin players. So uh, collaboration, absolutely, is the best. How does that work as a as a poet and someone who's so so attuned to local stories, Rob? Well, I think uh, you started the questions with uh, situated with summer folk, and uh, I would say, like for myself, I didn't have any experience of collaborative stuff other than I had other poets help me to get published at different times, and 
I'd be reading with other poets, but there wasn't really, it was all solitary work, really. Uh, rubbing shoulders in the music community with the music community opened a real door for me. One, to performing, because I did it. Previously, I performed because, basically, as a writer, if you don't read your stuff, nobody's going to buy it because they won't know about it. Uh, so it was a bit of a duty, but... I got to enjoy the performing because when you're sharing a stage with people, it's I, I was always loved sports and I was like team sports. That's I didn't like individual sports as much, and doing it where you look, you turn your head, and have another creative person there doing their thing with you, it's a it's a really quite a wonderful feeling. And uh, ultimately, I think this project reflected um, that, uh, I don't know the word to use, but it, the, both Larry and I had an empathy with each other, and then it started to broaden to other people too. And and the music side of this project, like the, there was Tyler Beckett, as Larry mentioned, Justine and Dave Sherrar, Sousa Gann, Will Henry. Uh, I'm not sure who I'm leaving out here, but there... It, it became much wider than just us. And in the book, like Patty Waterfield's artwork became essential to the book. That's what made the book more than just liner notes. Yeah. Uh, so we ended up with a project that I, I think, honestly, I, I, I'm quite proud of it. It's not the kind of book I've done in the past. It's more a community project. And that's what I liked about this. It was very special that way. It may not happen again, but it, if it never did, I'd still be a very happy person to have had that experience. I think it's so powerful to hear you list the name of, of performers. And there are there are some folks that you've listed who are known nationally and internationally, and other folks who are who are known through only their local performances, which is a great reminder for me that there are people creating art and great art all around us. And just because we don't hear them on the top 40 radio doesn't mean that they're not there. They're at at the jams. They're in their living rooms. They're going to open mics and and sharing great creative work that is really local. Yep. I I had the most of the tracks on the CD... Uh, were finished, and we could have left it at that. Actually, they did stand alone, and uh, but uh, I'd been listening to them for quite a while, and I just wanted something more on them. So I started thinking about who to invite to just just drop in. With multi-tracking, as you know, uh, um, you invite a person in, and you just turn on the microphone, and they add. They listen to what the tracks are, and they just add their part to it and i would i would send uh, the mp3s out to them and say you know could you put something together for this and show up at my studio at such and such a date that's kind of like herding cats they uh it was difficult part just scheduling was the difficult part when they showed up all those people we mentioned were totally prepared they were just pros and uh it was just a matter of turning on the mic a couple of run-throughs and uh, Bob's your uncle. Yeah. They were just part now of this history. And Dan uh, McGee, he was there at the first Summer Folk. Yeah. Uh, he's on this. Pete Devlin. Yeah. So, and uh, really, Will Henry, it was great that Will Henry and his uh, Scatter the Cats uh, uh, pieces on this because it, instead of just talking about local music, They've been a fixture in a very traditional form of local music with the contra dances and community hall. They're still playing. They've been playing for 30 years. And uh, so it was great to have Will allow us to use that song on the CD because it fits what we were trying to talk about. One more dance One more time round the floor
We used to dance here before Those old scars on the hardwood My marks and yours Those were our drinks That spilled by the door We used to come here before We used to dance here years ago Our songs and our stories still steeped in these walls Those were our tunes that rang through the hall And our voices calling for one more dance One more time round the floor One more waltz and no more We used to dance here before He just tells that story so well, right, about what those Saturday night dances were all about, bringing their kids when they were just young kids and they would fall asleep, you know, to that music. You know, they would just sleep through and it would just—it'd be part of them. <laughs> and some of those people now I know are taking their own kids to contra dances. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which is which is how tr- that's that's tradition, right? Like yeah. one generation does it and passes it on, and yeah. it's it's like a it's like a chorus, right? It's yeah. our turn to sing, then it's your turn to sing, yeah. and the song will stay alive as long as we pass it down. Yeah, that's definitely it. Was an easy choice, and we just begged Will, you know, come on, please, you know, because he's very uh, modest, you know. And he said, well, "What do you want that song for?" and uh, he gave it up. Yeah. <laughs> he shared it. Yes, he did. <laughs> if there was going to be one of one of your pieces off of Late Nights on Irish Mountain that we ended off with for this interview, what do you think we should play? <laughs> We're looking. Well, you could play Blue Eyes because that's the song where the title came from. And it's a local story and it involves uh, Irish Mountain. It involves uh, a folk tale, really, that's based on a little history, and it talks about the uh, 
taking over of Irish Mountain Farms for the military base over there, which is still a big issue in this area because of the uh, issue of uh, putting in a, a hydro plant up on the mountain. They've got some 23,000 signatures against it. So it takes it right into a local place where a lot of eyes are focused right now. And for those of us who might not know where Irish Mountain is, where is that? Meaford Highway. Uh, do you get to it from a lot of locals know where Ted's Range Road Restaurant is? Big Quonset hut down that road. And you just keep going up over that yeah. road. Have a hamburger and then continue. Yeah. Up to the, and it was about a girl who fell down a well in those days, way back then. And, uh, of course, died. And uh, her ghost apparently wanders looking for her farm, which has been taken over. It's no longer there. So I believe that's the story. Yeah, that's right. And uh, there, I discovered on the Internet, uh, I was looking for more information on the story of Blue Eyes. And cause there's two versions of the story, and they're fairly different. But in the course of doing it, I found... Uh, some accounts from a couple guys who were stationed over there on the military base who talked about going out and doing patrols at 2 in the morning and suddenly being confronted with something eerie that they eventually attributed to the ghost of this little girl. So we meshed these stories together. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, musically. Um, it's, uh, it's an up-tempo one, and... Uh, kind of got a bluegrass feel to it. I must say, uh, there's so many different styles on the CD of music, uh, which I attribute to getting these songs, and and I do have a lot of different variations on styles of music. It just, you know, it comes to you over 40 years of playing all kinds of different music, listening to everything you can. And uh, But this, uh, so it has a kind of a bluegrass feel to it. But um, when people respond to the CD, you know, I'll give it to somebody or somebody will buy it. Uh, and then I'll, I'll ask them about it later. And they go, you know, it's not normally my kind of music, but I really like it. That's, that's, <laughs> that's usually what I get. <laughs> and where can folks pick up the CD and the book? So, well, the Ginger Press has both. The Ginger Press published the book portion, and they sell both. Uh, I think it's $20 for the book, 15 for the CD, but $30 if you buy them together. Well, that's a deal in itself. Yes, I can't believe Larry and Rob, thanks so much for taking some time here on a windy Friday afternoon uh, to chat about this project. Thanks, and sir. we'll take a minute now on Georgian Bay Roots to play Blue Eyes. <laughs> Late nights on Irish Mountain Up where the stars look on Blue eyes sometimes wanders Looking for a family fun she died inside a hidden well, buried long before The government came looking for a place to train for war Late nights on Irish Mountain Up where the stars look on Blue eyes sometimes wander Looking, looking, looking came the idle promises the whispers all around they uprooted all the farmers left pay upon the ground off to war the soldiers went some did not come home and the people on Irish Mountain lost the farms they own late nights on Irish Mountain up where the stars look on blue eyes Sometimes wonders Looking, looking, looking For a family farm
They battled every hardship until they had to leave. Farmsteads taken from them with little time to breathe. For some it was a bitter blow they never would recover. And some just backed up stoically, traded one farm for another. Late nights on Irish Mountain, up where the stars look on. Blue eyes sometimes wonders, looking, looking, looking for family farm. Said many a lonely soldier in the dark woods overnight. He's drawn towards a deep well where blue eyes lost their light. Hope grievances die slowly, but be that as it may. For each of life's injustices, someone has to pay. Late nights on Irish Mountain, up where the stars look on. Blue eyes sometimes wonder, looking, looking, looking for the fan.